Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! Up you wake, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake! This is TC and Jake. Your voice of choice. The world's only 12-hour strong man on the air. Here on We Love Radio 108 FM. The last on your dial, but first in your hearts. And that's the truth. Here I am. Am I here? You know it. It, you know. This is TC and Jake. Doing the nasty to your ears, your ears to the nasty. Eyes only play the platters that matter, the matters they platter. And that's the truth. From the heart of Bed-Stuy, you're listening to TC and Jake. Doing the yin and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity flop. Oh! I think we could start off today's episode by just going around the horn saying, who feels like dying? Uh, Yeah. I've puked before the show because I haven't been able to keep any food or water down for about 36 hours. That's been fun. That is fun. Yep. And it's both ends. So I think I got food poisoning or something. Yeah. Just trying to get everything out. Yeah. Which is what I just did in your bathroom, so I'm sorry. I, I thought that uh, week-old beef we left sitting out would be okay, <laughs> but here I am. No, I'm pissed off about it, to be honest. Not the you defiled the bathroom. That's okay. Uh, you know, it, it had taken an assault a mere five minutes before. So I know, I could tell. Stand. That actually helped me. <laughs> good, yeah. good. Um, but no, I'm, I'm pissed because it, that's clearly more than I'm dealing with. Which then upstages what I feel is a considerable, uh, yeah, I mean, whatever, you know, I'm sick. Uh, it happens. It, I, I guess it's just getting old, you know, I mean, I, I feel like it's just the same thing, like, came back. Like, I was coughing a couple weeks ago. Right. And uh, then it got better. And then it was just like, fuck you, motherfucker, I can win. <coughs> you, you really got to hand it to the, uh, the never say die spirit of whatever bacteria is eating me alive. It's kind of producing our show this month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's weird, man. For me, too. And I think I do have food poisoning, but if my sleep schedule gets changed, almost every time that happens now, I get sick. So if yeah. the Mavericks are going to be on until 12, 15, and I can't go to bed until like 2, I will be sick the next day. It's It doesn't matter. Like, even if I were to like sleep seven hours... If it's a different seven hours, it's like if I do that twice in four days, I'm sick. It blows. I thought you were going to say you were pissed off at me <clears throat> for not puking live. Oh, because yeah. That would have been cool. There is a chance. <laughs> because the problem is I need to hydrate. Do you have a bucket required? You- uh, I'm going to use this thing. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, maybe I'll use the equipment bag. That seems it looks like a waterproof. good idea. Uh, but yeah, the problem is when you're when you're dealing with, I guess, food poisoning, something – you need to hydrate, but every time I drink a whole cup of water, I vomit it up within like half an hour. I've never had the can't hold down water. It's bad, dude. It sounds bad. It's not fun. I feel bad. Uh, but the Mavs are up 2-0. NBA fans are dumping shit on players during games from the stands again. So the world is healing. Yeah, I mean, especially uh, Philly specifically, right? Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, Will this go down <clears throat> in the, the pantheon lore of throwing batteries at Santa? Probably not quite to that degree, dumping popcorn on a guy, but it did... I mean, it's, it's more his reaction. Like, to do anything that leads to 
the six people hold me back. And it didn't seem like a disingenuous hold me back. Oh, I don't know that there are many of those with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he was really pissed off at those security guards. They wouldn't let him beat a fan. And that also brought, I think it was, I think it's a Trill Withers theory uh, from Twitter, brought back to the uh, four something that he's tweeted, I think, once a year since I started following him, which is every player should be able to beat up one fan each season. <laughs> but it's kind of like a coach's challenge where you don't get another one even if it's successful. Yeah. And, you know, you might want to save that for game 82. You might want to save it for the finals. Yeah, but like timeouts, uh, you know, you don't get to take them into the offseason. That's true. So It's just the Jason Garrett theory. Yeah, I might. I might. If I felt like I had a good one, I would just go for it. Bill James uh, had a thing. I forget what the context was, but just made me think. Like, like with a lot, a lot of things in history, you have a general. Like, I know that people played baseball in the late eighteen hundreds, and so you then make some assumptions of like, well, it was probably more or less like it is now, but just maybe like slightly less people, and they were all wearing hats, mm-hmm. suits. Um, and uh, he was kind of tracing that through the history of whatever that uh, it's it's this give and take where I think just at the beginning you could do anything everyone could do anything <laughs> yeah you know the the fans could say whatever the fuck they wanted and then players would go into the the stands and knock their lights out and that you you have the policing on both sides that then goes from there and that you you have to keep it in balance right like. Obviously, it is bad if a player goes and beats the shit out of a fan, but you, if if, all, if the only thing you're doing is policing the player behavior, then it's really pretty fucked up. You don't want people to be able to say or do whatever they want to those people because they're people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I, believe it or not, I think more uh, healing, education, and restrictions are necessary in Philadelphia. Yeah, but it would... I think that would that healing would have started if Russ went up there and killed that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a, a deterrent that would have lasted at least uh, one week. I watched the clip several times. I didn't have a real good understand. Like, what's step two here? Like, the guards let you go. Okay, how is he getting up there? Like, he's gonna like run around to like an entrance. He would have found a way like, to get up there. I guess, but it, he would have scaled. It would have taken wall. comically long, I think. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it, you're right. It would, but it would also be very funny. I mean, I, let him go, dude. dude. Someone else can. Uh, if, he, if he gets closer, I just want to see this play out a little farther. Uh, are you ever offended by the not pop up ads, but what are, what are the what are the ads you get that are not that are like adjacent to like okay, whatever you call this, like the outbrain type ads? Yeah. For some reason, I keep getting one. I keep getting ones that are like cycling themed. Okay. This one says, "Never underestimate an old man with a bicycle," and it's Did like you let Craig a racing shirt. Your computer. It's like offensive to me. Yeah. Like my computer thinks I'm into cycling, and that you're old. And, and that well, that part is evidenced by the fact that I'm puking before we record. Yeah. Because I'm tuckered out. No ability to process food or water. Right. So the old man part, yeah, but I'm like, come on. I got a lot of weird interests, but cycling is not one of them. And, like, we know the ones on the porn sites are broken. Yeah. Unless you log in. I you mean, don't, I, You don't I, log in, do you? 
No. Okay. That's a that's a, a firm line for me. I don't give out any information. Okay. Because yeah, like you can definitely get hey find uh, find hot milfs seven six zero five one. They obviously know that part, but whenever they're suggesting like hentai to me, hentai just I don't like any ads with dicks in them. Yeah. Like the ones where it's just like a close up on a dick and it's like make your dick bigger, dude. I don't like. Unless it's accompanied by something else, I don't want to see a dick. Another dick. Yeah. No, I... Like, uh, it's it's something I'm willing to tolerate, like, <laughs> if, if there's other <clears throat> things going on in the image, but uh, that by itself, why would I ever? What about uh, the pre-roll ads now? And I know our one specific listener, he's getting, he gets very mad every time we talk about this because we don't... I don't use a ad blocker. Uh-huh. But what about the ones now where it's like two shot glasses and they're just pouring lotion and they're like, this is you now. This yeah, could, yeah, yeah. This could be you Gross. later. I'm like, yeah, dude. Just, I just bad wanna, advertising. I just want such a big load. Here's a little, <laughs> so little tip for you guys. Like any, like whatever product you're advertising, just have a large pair of breasts. Yeah. And then like write the name of the product, like right. on the, uh, you know, the text above it. Right. That's it. That, uh, no other things necessary. Right. You can make it the same set. I don't care. Yeah. Just change out the product name. Whatever, dude. The We're rest of the world of seems to understand this better than the porn world, honestly. Did you hear that, uh... Like, Budweiser is not telling you about fucking the delicious taste of Budweiser. I told uh, Dan about your idea... Sometimes they do. ...of consulting for fertility clinics. Yeah, I need to get a business plan for Yeah, that. well, uh... A P1 replied and told us uh, that's what he does. No, no. He's like, you should call yourself a Kamalier. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. So you could take I that like free that. charge yeah, right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's kind of a collaborative group project. Yeah. I'm just imagining me starting this billion dollar business and then this tape being played together in a courtroom as the guy's trying to explain that he actually deserves half of my billion dollars because I said it was a collaborative group project. Probably a mistake to call it a collaborative group project. No, you should do like the McDonald's guy did. Yeah. Just fuck over the the real idea man. Well, I'm the idea man. I don't want to fuck over myself. Yeah, but I think the Kamalier part is huge here. Like to really get this thing to jump and you're going to need that. Yeah. Maybe you could buy him out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. very close to throwing up again. Oh, okay. That's great news. I hope, hope it goes well. Whatever you do, try and catch it on the camera. Will you edit it out? If you want me to. I mean, I I don't think that's in the best interest of the listener. Okay. Okay. So uh, I had a little tidbit that I wanted to uh, to tell you about. Okay. I was, I don't know, speaking of algorithms, I don't know how this got served to me. I guess I will, it probably starts, I don't know that my YouTube remembers all this way back, but I think that guitar things first started showing up because from the period of like 2011 to 2013. You were we, just Googling tabs all the time? Yes. No, we would, we would take breaks on this show, and so we'd have music coming back from break, and I thought that it was a real waste that there are so many uh, covers recorded by annoying teens and posted to YouTube that no one ever gets to watch. So I thought as our break music, I would just have, you know, like a you know, fucking 11-year-old belting out living on a prayer and that Jake would really like that. Maybe he didn't, though. <laughs> it turns out he didn't. No. Didn't keep an open mind. That was the big problem. <laughs> and so I think that 
maybe from that it took that I really like guitar videos, which I wouldn't say is entirely accurate, but I get served a decent amount of people playing guitar videos. And uh, sometimes it's like, all right, let's see what they got. And in this case, the one thing I do love of music YouTube or music anywhere is whenever you can get the uh, isolated tracks. Whenever someone's sitting in front of the master tapes yeah. and being like, here's the drums. Just listen to the drums of this song you've heard a million times, but right now it's just the drums and just the bass. And so... You ever the, seen the classic album uh, on the Steely Dan album? I have not seen the one on the Steely Dan, you Dan album. You have. And they're, they're kind of hard to find. If anyone has a... Uh, easy way to get a trove of classic albums uh please let me know it was a series called classic albums so i'm not actually just asking yeah, for yeah. general <laughs> classic albums that one's great that one stuck out to me yeah the pink I, floyd one's actually pretty good too and i don't even like that album i have the, the whenever i went to look on you know the parts of the internet i'm familiar with i think i got the black album one again which i do enjoy and then uh i have the duran duran's rio which okay. i also like I'm also a big fan of like whenever uh, Danny would surreptitiously talk to the sound guy at a petty theft gig and then get Mike's uh, vocals isolated. <laughs> Not exactly the same as a classic album, but still very entertaining. I would say it's classic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I'm scrolling along and at some point it gets suggested to me that there's a situation where Ozzy Osbourne was... Uh, someone got the master tapes to Crazy Train and had him sit down and listen to the isol just played for him isolated tracks of Crazy Train. Okay. Uh, and Crazy Train was recorded and it, it was written by him and uh, Randy Rhodes. Uh, Randy Rhodes. Well, I'll just let Ozzy tell you. Okay. So I'm I'm watching uh, the the series. This is a very short clip, uh, but I just it's it was my moment of zen. Okay. This is uh, yeah. Ozzy Osbourne listening to just Randy's guitar on Crazy Train. Randy. That's uh, the guy who's like playing it for him. You know, just looks at him and says, Randy. Randy. He died. Yeah, I know. You want it one more time since it's short? Like every single piece of it is, is incredible. Yes. <laughs> Randy. He died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. A play in okay. three acts. Okay, yeah. So the fact that the dude, the, the engineer, feels the need that he has to tell uh, Ozzy Osbourne that the riff on, maybe like a top five most famous riff ever, who, did it, who it was played by. You know, a guy who was in Black Sabbath. Yeah, I, I would assume that if you asked that guy, do you think that Ozzy already knows it's Randy? He would say, yeah, of course. And then it's the question of, well, then why'd you say it, bud? Exactly. But there are people that say things that they know that their audience already knows. We call them, you know, fucking annoying folks. Uh, and I think he's just one of those. So and then Ozzy, while consuming one of the most iconic riffs of all time on a song that he does vocals on. Uh -huh. He doesn't have any comment on the riff, <laughs> but simply that the man who played it died. And I know no one with that length of hair, the, the, the guy playing it for him has very long hair. No one with that length of they hair. They all know Randy's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're not breaking the news to him, bud. He, he has the tapes to crazy train. <laughs> And 
the guy's reaction is not like sullen. Yeah, he's like, yeah. I mean, he seems a little offended that, that Ozzy's telling him. And it's like, he's Ozzy Osbourne, so how about you let him do whatever the fuck he wants? That's awesome. Um, yeah, but so uh, I watched that and loved it. And uh, was certainly aware that Randy Rhodes died. Uh, thought it was some kind of accident. But I was like, you know what? I, uh, give me a little more on that. You know, Ozzy's not going to give it to me, apparently. He's got a pretty short summary of the events. Yep. Uh, but I'd like to find out. Are you familiar with the details surrounding Randy Rhodes' death? I guess I'm not. I'm not. I just know he's dead. He died. <laughs> he died. That's all I know. So uh, they were touring. I believe they were in the state of Florida. Tour bus breaks down. Okay. And he got out, right? He did. I mean, all, all they, they find some kind of like a tour bus barn. Okay. And uh, someone goes to work on the tour bus, but it's, it's going to be a while. There's some other tour buses just sitting there. Who the fuck knows what goes on in Florida? I guess they just got tour bus graveyards over there. Maybe they do everywhere. That Who, checks out. You know, yeah. Weird. Whatever. And I get like as part of this tour bus graveyard, they've got other various mechanical things, including uh, like a little single engine plane. And so they're like, hey, we're going to have to fix this tour bus. It's going to be a while. Uh, and you guys want to go up on the plane? And, I th you know, one of the members of the traveling party is like, yeah, I'll go up on the plane. And the rest of the guys just go into the tour bus to sleep. They just want to, you know, I mean, surely they need it. Right. right? Um, and so uh, they're probably having trouble holding down food and liquids. Yeah, probably so. And uh, so he takes them up you know, whatever random member of the traveling party and says, uh, this will be fun. Let's go buzz those fuckers. And so uh, in the, the plane, just gets as close to the tour bus as he can, flying. And then pulls up and lands and they're all like, that was funny shit. And uh, he's like, anyone else want to go? And uh, Randy in a Randy is initially like, I'm scared as fuck of flying. I don't want to do that shit. Right. And uh, there's a lady that's like, oh, I think it'd be cool, but I have a heart condition. And at that point, Randy hears that a lady with a heart condition is going up. And I think the pilot says like, oh, well, and I'll knock off that crazy stuff. She has a heart condition. Uh, and Randy's like, well, it would be cool to get some photos to send to me, mom. <laughs> I don't remember if Randy's British the way Ozzy is, but they doesn't matter. They have to all be British, yeah. Yeah, uh, and so they go up at the plane at that point, at which point the pilot, like, five fucking times is like, fuck y'all, I'm buzzing the bus! And then he clips a wing on the bus. And all three of them died? Yeah, dude. Fiery crash, like, just fucking, the wing disintegrates. I'm surprised uh, nobody in the bus died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it, like, opened up a hole in the, the top of the tour bus. And there was a, a house nearby with like a large garage. They just go straight into the garage, burn the fuck up out of the garage, you know, everything. And I, I think that like the guys were asleep in the bus. So, I mean, probably not asleep, asleep. They'd just been buzzed a couple times. Right. Um, but uh, just imagine the guys, so like, like Ozzy's experience with it most likely is that he's sitting on a tour bus. Here's a, I mean, just, you hear the thud. Uh, all the noises, I'm sure he's aware the plane crashed, but like, 
just the dawning on him of like, oh, it was a bad crash. Oh, everyone I know is dead, including my, you know, at this time, most loved musical collaborator who co-wrote Crazy Train. Tough time for Oz. Tough time. Uh, and that right there, the reaction is all he could muster despite <laughs> yeah. all the elements of that story, which I think is the most metal thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah. Every part, like we're at a tour bus park in Florida. Uh-huh. I couldn't come up with that. Yeah. There's a plane there. Uh-huh. I would have rejected that in the notes. Where the fuck's this plane coming from? <laughs> well, didn't you say it's a tour bus park? Yeah. Yeah, there's a plane, though. And we're in Florida. <laughs> and uh, some guy's just going to take you up in it. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. I had no idea. No, I, I didn't either until, until last week. And now you want to transition into your uh, international relations thoughts? I mean, if you want to talk about other stuff, I don't, I don't want to force it on you, but I did read a column that made me mad online. Okay, let's do that. So yeah, uh, Eve Barlow, uh, she's a, a, a music writer that is, uh, I think, was born in Scotland. She's very antagonistic on Twitter, right? I think so. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. She's got a Twitter presence. She's certainly, I mean, a lot of the uh, articles about like, you know, I'm I'm proudly saying my truth, kind of stuff. Yeah, and I didn't know who she was until the most recent. Um, I didn't either. Dust up in the Middle East. Yeah, very light um, euphemism there. But yeah, she she's Jewish and uh, is bothered by criticism of Israel. It mm -hmm. seems to yeah. me, and will often tweet things to that effect. And in Tablet Magazine, she wrote uh, a column. Um, where she described uh, the reactions to her tweets as a uh, digital pogrom. What's that word mean? It's whenever they would round up Jewish people and kill them. Okay. So she's comparing the yep. mass slaughter of humans to some people unfollowing her. Yeah, but didn't uh, Marjorie just do this the other day about the masks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I There's mean, a lot of people that make bad comparisons. But it's always that one. <laughs> you're right. You're one right. half of it never changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that she... Uh, I, I don't know the history. I'd, like, I th I've certainly heard pogrom used outside of the context of the Soviet state. But I, I always think of it most prominently as like the USSR. Like uh, rounding up. That may be where I've heard that word before. Jewish people and uh, treating them poorly. Yeah. Um. And so, you know, I mean, whatever, dude. If I can't give you a history of the word pogrom, uh, or if the best one I can muster is what I just gave you, then obviously I'm not an expert on the entire subject. And I would assume that everyone listening to this knows that we're just two dudes trying to do our best. <laughs> you know? Uh, like, I, I, I would assume that some amount of the reaction to the things I say are going to be like, well, you're not an expert, and I just want to establish, I know. But, I don't know, I read the thing and I have some thoughts. Okay. okay? And I'm just trying not to vomit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that about says it. Yeah. Um, and so uh, she's just, it's it's stuff that's really all over the top about how difficult it is for her that uh, she's got, uh, the, you know, not even, like, one of the big things that started blowing up, like how she opens the column is that uh, her name is Eve Barlow, but a lot of people have been tweeting at her, Eve Fartlow. <laughs> okay and I, I i did see something about this because the guy who has the twitter account fart weighed in okay 
Yeah, no. I didn't dig to the beginning. It was a Seth very... Seth Rogen kind of tweeted Easter... a fart emoji yeah. in response to the article. Um, you know, like a lot of... Uh, Eve 6 has been all over this. I think they changed their name to Eve 6 Fartlow. <laughs> Um, it's funnier to me too when I imagine the Eve Six account not being the lead singer, but sort of like an anthropomorphic representation yeah. of just the a hive mind. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and you know, I mean, just like to lay out my basic position on this stuff. Uh, gonna start by saying that you know throughout I've, I've mentioned this before throughout the excel experience that that's the time that i've been around the highest concentration of jewish people and they were the coolest kids there i loved it very much you know like it was and so that 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 kind of like that that's where i start from right that that colors the rest of my thinking is that like you know these people are my friends uh the people who they view as in their group uh i view as extended friends right mm -hmm. um you know i was thinking about uh whenever i wrote the uh research paper in junior year that got me so fired up about uh, Irish history. I had a friend, a good friend, who uh, we were in the same English class together and we would always check each other's papers, like we would do the editing for each other. And uh, his paper was on Golda Meir. So that's a former prime minister of Israel. Um, and you know, so I, I just, at the time was like, I'm learning about my stuff. He's learning about his stuff. This is so cool. And I read his paper with great interest. You that know? is cool. Um, a cultural swap. Yeah. But, uh, whenever we, th we often throw around the term war crimes and I just want to be clear that war crimes ha does have a specific definition. Like there are treaties that lay out how you are allowed to treat people in the course of war. And if you break those treaties, that's called a war crime. <clears throat> and one of those things is if you occupy territory that you obtained through a war, you can't just give it out to your citizens willy-nilly. That's a war crime. And that's what is currently going on with, you know, the, the parts of Israel. You know, like the, the parts that Palestinians live in. Like, a, you know, Sheikh Jarrah is the one that has been the, uh, the, the big uh, point of contention uh, in the, the last couple weeks. And was I aware of this place? Like, did I know the neighborhood uh, prior to this? No, dude, I didn't. So if you want to gotcha me on that, uh, there you go. I just gave it to you. I didn't know the name of it, but that, that, this is, that specific neighborhood has been a big part of this for like 50 years. Yeah. That's, the families that live there have... Their, their families have lived there for a long, long time. And there aren't that many of them. Yeah, and after this happened, I did go and read up on it, you know? So I, I, I can tell you, like, uh, in 1948... Jordan, uh, I yeah, want to say. The Jordanian army is advancing. Yeah. Uh, Britain is in control of the area at the time. And they go to the Jewish families living in Sheikh Jarrah and say, you've got two hours to get out. And you're never coming back to your home. Because the army is coming, and it's going to be bad if you don't. Uh, which, heartbreaking. Fucking terrible. But so then once they, once, you know, the Jordanian armies got the place, they're like, what do we do with it? And it's war. So similar things are happening in other areas. So the, you know, the Israeli forces or the Brit British forces, whatever, are pushing out uh, Palestinians from their homes. So it's pretty much just a swap. I mean, and I don't like make it, I don't want to say that to like say like, ah, whatever, it's just a swap. Like I said, it's terrible. It's fucking heartbreaking. Yep. If someone made me leave my house, like that, that's where all this comes to. I just think about if someone forced me out of my house under any circumstance, fucking awful. 
Um, and so they've, uh, they've, they've got this situation where there's displaced Palestinians living in the place where the displaced Israelis used to live, and the displaced Israelis go live in the place where the displaced Palestinians used to live. And that is how it goes until, you know, the mid-2000s. Like, no Jewish people lived in Sheikh Jarrah from 1948 until the mid-2000s. And then... Uh, Israel just over the course of time, this is documented, and I feel like the international consensus on it is pretty strong, uh, just has, without any real concerted attempt at justification, just flaunted these international laws about who can and cannot occupy, the, or, you know, who can and cannot own and live in and etc., lands that were gotten through conquest like, like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've, you know, just, they, they eventually got to a place where their current policy is that if you can show some kind of claim that your family was one of the families that had this house before 1948, then you can go back and kick out whoever's living there and tell them that this is your house now. But the key thing here is that there is not a similar right given to Palestinians uh, who, you know, were displaced themselves, right? Yep. Like if, I think it sounds messy to try and redo the swap or undo the swap, but if they were going to try that, I mean, I I guess I'll hear them out. Yeah. Right? But just saying, well, you took this from us, we're going to take it back. Well, what about the stuff that you took from us? Well, that's still ours. Obviously wrong. I would say. And, you know, uh, it seems to me like most of uh, the international community agrees with that position that I'm laying out. And the ways in which they do some of this stuff, to me, seems pretty fucked up. Uh, Before all this started up, the the last time I was thinking about Israel, before uh, all of this blew up, there was an article, one of my favorite uh, Irish reporters did a, a piece in one of the Irish newspapers Ireland is always, you know, whenever we hear about uh, some people who believe that that they have a right to the land, but a more powerful force is telling them that they don't, we tend to think that the person with the less claim is the sympathetic one, right? Yes. Because that was our relationship with Britain and remains to this day in, you know, Ulster. Uh, So there's always been, you know, I mean, like a... The first place, the first time I learned about this is that they'll fly Palestinian flags at uh, Celtic games, not the Boston Celtics, the Scottish soccer team that a lot of Irish people cheer for. And I learned, or le- I learned of that from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Ireland sent aid to a Palestinian community, like they just sent humanitarian supplies. I believe, you know, I mean, the, I think that. You know, it was a group of people that had, had their shelters destroyed. And I think, like, the IDF destroyed them. But it was some kind of, like, uh, it was sufficiently unclear. You know, like, the IDF had an explanation, I, I think. Uh, but it was it was the kind of thing where it's like, these people no longer have shelter. Uh, and it's uh, disputed exactly how it got that way. But whatever. Let's just get them sheltered. So Ireland sends supplies. Uh, those supplies get destroyed by the IDF. And they're like, hey, you know, maybe it's another misunderstanding. We'll resend the supplies. We'll just send all that same stuff again. 
Exact same thing happens, dude. It's just humanitarian supplies. It's just fucking shelters and food and shit for people to continue to live. And you've got the army coming in, breaking all of it. Like, and it's, it's, I mean, it's fucked up enough if you do that to people who just, you know, own things or like, you know, if they just like went to fucking Oshman's and, and got <laughs> themselves some tents and you uh, tore them down. I, I don't like that. But it's the property or it's a gift of another fucking state. Like, how do you think this is going to go? And I mean, Ireland did not declare war, uh, you know, so like they're, they, they could get away with it, I guess. But it, it strikes, I, I would be interested in an in explanation where this isn't uh, hateful behavior that is not justified in any sort of moral <clears throat> way. Um, but yeah, so I, that, that's what I think about the whole thing, you know, that uh, it, 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 it seems like the people who have more power are treating the people with less power in a way that is not morally uh, upright. And just so I'm clear, the Fartlow article was primarily just about people's reaction to her opinions. Yeah, but I mean, obviously, she's touching on the whole thing, right? Okay. Like, like yeah. it, it, the, it's the, the basic conflict is that her opinion... She never really seems to try that hard to lay out her opinion. Like, it's it's she does a lot of, like, you people aren't curious about what act what zionism means to me she says that okay. but i see no effort in this piece at least to explain what zionism zionism means to her it's just a lot of condemning people who criticize her um yeah well i mean we've talked we've touched on this before but it's not really something that people speak openly and honestly about at least in in america sure it's just not i mean I'm obviously not super comfortable with it. I've mentioned that before. Uh, people get fired from jobs uh, a lot for speaking about things related. And this, it's yeah. I would assume that everyone saw that there was a AP journalist last week who was fired because she was part of a pro-Palestine group in college. Yeah, in college. Yeah. And Mark Lamont Hill was fired from CNN uh, for some comments about this conflict, and that's you know. It's it's this is certainly the biggest one of these uh, these sort of intractable conflicts that that America is heavily involved in. But I think more than anything, it just to me, I always am interested in like the media angle of it because that in large part shapes what people think about it. So to me, um, it really does get kind of get to the to the manufacturing consent thing, where you know you're you hear from your parents, everybody, the liberal, the media is liberal, which considering that probably most of the people who work in media, especially political media are center left, uh, that checks out. So on its surface, yes. But then when you really start thinking about it, I mean, go, we just, when we were talking about nine 11 or when we were talking about Iraq a few weeks ago, I mean, you don't have like competing narratives regarding American foreign policy, uh, all that much. Now, it's, I guess it's probably starting to change a little bit because there are members of Congress who are saying things that I'm frankly floored to be hearing on the floor of Congress because I never thought you would ever hear anything like that. Yeah. There's only a few of them. Yeah. And not going to pass any bills with those. And opinions. I also, and I also don't know if they're like, you know, to use a phrase I use way too much, like, are they the canary in the coal mine or are they just an aberration? And I tend to think it's probably more the latter because the machine is the machine. But when you hear about 
the liberal media and the slant and conservatives moaning and complaining about that. Just watch the way that CNN or even MSNBC covers this this issue. They either don't or they don't explain it in the way that you just did. See, they just don't. I mean, that's how I feel. But one one thing about Eve's piece, like the line that I was most incensed by, I will read to you verbatim now. It's short. The mainstream media is skewed entirely against Israel. Well, and see, that's... Is that been your lived experience? Well, I think it's... I, I, I can't speak for her because this is a very personal issue to her. She probably has family that it's very personal to. She has probably sure. family that's there uh, and is in the middle of this conflict for which there is violence on both sides. Now, you don't often hear it mentioned... You know, this is a popular thing to do in media criticism now is to just... You know, there's like that New York Times headline rewrite Twitter account. Yeah. Because the framing is obviously that it's a 50-50 conflict when, you know, the uh, the Palestinian bombs are very crude and very rarely do they actually hit what they're even trying to hit. Like they, yeah, I mean, one I'm not side has it, an air force and one side doesn't. I'm like, not saying it never close, happens. You know? There's obviously violence and prov- provocation from both sides. But to me, I just – it became very clear to me, even, you know, even in like college, right? Like even in, in political science classes, most of the people who are teaching those classes either worked for like the, the government at the state or federal level, or they worked for the military. So the idea that there's like, and I'm sure it's different in like Berkeley, and it was definitely different once I got to grad school because I could choose my own stuff a little more. But the idea that like your average university is like indoctrinating people with these like that's just not true yeah it's it's not been my experience anyways and then that filters up to the type of people who end up on television political journalism you know they went through those schools so i don't know it's 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 tricky because it's very hard to talk about this that's how much of a machine <laughs> I feel like the, yeah, the American and, foreign policy narrative truly is. And it's, it's you know, I mean, there's obviously a million reasons why that is the way it is. But I, I, I think a large one, and, you know, I, I would hope this is like the, I'm, I'm, I hope that I accurately express the most innocent one, is that it's, it's, it scrambles you because throughout history, the people who are, uh, you know, uh, settling Israel are, are, have traditionally been the ones that were mistreated. Like in the group, in the, like the group with power, uh, hurting the group that doesn't have it, Jews are usually the ones that are being, uh, hurt. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's easy. Like that's, that's a lot of what the piece is, you know, right. of like, look how bad the, the treatment of Jewish people is. And so, uh, you know, it's it's fucked up then that that me sticking up for uh, you know Zionist beliefs are uh, is is leading to me getting less offers to write freelance articles, and you know uh, I get it, but I just don't think that it's like that. The question we're trying to answer here is not have Jewish people been treated fairly throughout history. The question we're trying to answer is are. Israelis treating Palestinians in a way that is in accordance with international law right now. Yeah, and but obviously it's not that. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yes, but it's just way too hot. There's way it's way too raw. 
Um, and it's probably an intractable situation for the rest of our lives. Probably. I mean, I don't know, but I know that this, you're going to hear about this every five years, probably for the rest of your life. And it's probably always going to be roughly the same story. Yeah. And it just, and I, I would assume that this dynamic will continue repeating, but it's, it's really frustrating to me whenever people who say like, boy, it seems fucked up that the IDF is destroying humanitarian supplies, uh, are then like, oh, so you're anti-Semitic? Yeah. Of course I'm not, dude. I, I don't think that the majority of people who are saying things in support of Palestine are, are anti-Semitic. I, I mean, I don't know, dude. I, I'm not sure. Everyone in the, everyone whenever they're talking about stuff, everyone whenever they're talking on Twitter about anything is vague about what their exact beliefs are. You know, like you're not going to convey it in a tweet. And the people who are legitimately anti-Semitic are probably trying to launder it through free Palestine type things. But see, taking anyone who says like, boy, I think you should treat those Palestinians better uh, as being anti-Semitic is like she's accusing other people of not being engaging in free debate. Uh, and I think that that's the most egregious example I can imagine of not engaging in free debate. Uh, I would agree, but it's also very common. You yeah. know, I mean, that's it. That is the way that it's. That's why people don't really address it in, you know, the MSM. I think I'm just going to start saying that unironically. Yeah, that's just what I'm going to call the mainstream media now, the MSM. But yeah, I mean, then you know, I don't know, dude. They'll you know they'll put. They'll put, uh, you know, it doesn't even really have to be Republican. They'll put senators on television who will make the same sort of points that you're making, like, that, hey, if you support Palestine, then you're anti-Semitic. If you support any, any, I mean, there's people that, that that's, Laughably easy for me to imagine Nancy Pelosi talking about how anyone sure. who says that Palestine is good is an anti or like decrying anti-Semitism right. in response to someone who just said like... She's probably done it this this week. Yeah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, yeah. It's not hard. Yeah. Um, now, and, and then just, you know, Eve, Eve talks about how she's suffering all these consequences. There was a, a dinner party she was disinvited from because one of the guests said that they didn't want to go to a dinner party with a Jewish supremacist. Mm. And uh, she, she harsh language. details a lot of those kinds of things. And listen, we like having strong opinions on this podcast. Uh, and I don't know, like in some ways I'm stubborn. In some ways I do consider myself to be someone who goes out of his way to try and understand the other side's arguments. I would agree. And I just think at the point where you're suffering all these professional consequences, there has to be somewhere where you ask, is there a reason? Like, are people in reacting, are people reacting in horror because I'm doing something horrible? And like, I don't know, the way that she talks about it on Twitter, like the entire conflict, uh, it's upsetting. It's upsetting to me. Like whenever she compares people unfollowing her to the mass slaughter of a group of people. I'm upset by that. So, uh, you know, if she wants to be able to write uh, music articles in as many publications as she was before, maybe she should stop saying things that upset people so much. And, like, obviously the details are very important here. Yeah. It's, it's not my, like, there's lots of times that people with legitimate viewpoints have been silenced. The frustrating thing about this is, is that we feel that people who have the viewpoint that she's saying is monolithic and holding her down, 
that would be the prime example in my mind of something that's going to get someone unfairly maligned and fired from a job. I don't remember if she was successful or not, but uh, Barry Weiss, America's top free speech warrior, uh, I know attempted to get one of her professors fired at Columbia because he said things about Palestine other than they're terrible and they should go away. Uh, so, you know. It's an odd dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah. And, and the other thing is to conflate uh, Palestine and Hamas. Yeah, you know? sure. Like, that's that's another thing that Eve talks about is, uh, you know, like she's saying, like, you, know, you say all your pre-Palestine stuff and you think you're doing... This is whenever she most directly engages with actual arguments about Zionism versus anti-Zionism, which I feel like she doesn't engage with uh, very, you know, directly. Um, but the most direct is... To say that uh, you think that you're helping a free Palestine, you're just helping Hamas. Like, you're just creating cover for a terrorist organization. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, dude. Uh, so w what's the alternative? Just let these people, let let IDF force people out of their homes? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think I can stand for that. And I mean, like, what do you mean stand for that? I'm, the most I'm going to do is record this fucking podcast. <laughs> Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not all right with it. I'm, you're not going to get me to, uh, you know, write tweets in support of it. Um, and so, you know, yeah, uh, yep. I'm You've sure Hamas has done things I wouldn't agree with. I'm sure that there's power, there's sure. large groups of Palestinian people that hold views that I don't hold. Um, but I don't know. That's one of the cool things about me. You don't have to hold all of my views for me to think that you deserve not to be kicked out of your house. Well said. Yeah. All right. I got to run. Cool, man. I didn't throw up. <laughs> nice, nice. I might right. now, though. Bye. Yeah. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next, so until tomorrow. For everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.